Also, hey, can, can we pause and talk about something now that I'm thinking about defensive players that we didn't? I didn't mention someone. Channing f***ing Tyndall <laughs> had his first sack. He did it. Yeah, he did. I'm so I'm so proud of him. God, I'm so proud of him. When I saw him, bli- uh, he really j- and the best part was he really just cleaned up a sack that Adam Anderson created. But God, it's so good. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to review the game that we just saw, that Kentucky game, the Kentucky Fried Chicken game, Kentucky Fried Wildcats, Georgia Bulldogs. There's, there's really a lot to this here. There is. But as always, in true CBC fashion, we'll start with our experiences. So this was a special experience for us because it was a game that we really got to spend a lot of time together. I know. Like, it's so sweet to <laughs> start be to finish. around you. <laughs> It was a lot of fun. We watched the game at uh, Creature Comforts. While the screen was small, our hearts were big, and so were our glasses full of beer. Yes. And good Lord, did we have uh, we had a time, I will say. We absolutely time. did. But yeah, we, we did all that. We uh, got to hang out with Anna's family. It was uh, Scotty's birthday. Scotty's a listener of the show as well, my brother-in-law. I have uh, just my cup overflow with the brother-in-laws. Yes. That listen to this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I will say that uh, we were also just... A hundred percent treated on the night, my wife and I, especially by the Simmons family, and in particular John Simmons, who is a listener and Patreon uh, subscriber, who could cancel his Patreon after the uh, meal that he bought us on Saturday night. Let's just be honest; um, it cost more than five dollars. Yes, it did, and it was if so. You very know what good. I mean? We ate, we ate a whole big old bucket of meat. We did. Like, it was so nice. Yeah, we went to Tlaloc and we ordered the thing that was a big stone bowl full of simmered meat. And it was really good. <laughs> the next day, my stomach did not like super love it, but no. at that time, very much into it. It was something about the combination of booze and just a literal bucket of meat that really, uh, really me- messed my stomach up. But you know what? It was fine. I had a great time. Yeah. Um, I wrote down cookies. Oh yeah, because we went. Okay, so I don't even know at this point of the night. Like at the end of the our, our South American adventure to Tlaloc. So good. It was God, incredible. It was so good. There were margaritas. There was a bucket of meat, lots of chips. I don't... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, everything just got fuzzy at some point. And then we got home, and then we took a picture of, each, of, our, <laughs> of ourselves okay, licking okay. the paddle. I feel, I feel it's necessary, because I don't want to be heteronormative, and I don't want to, like, take anybody's thing. No, and there's nothing sexual or weird about it. I just there thought it was funny. There was nothing sexual. So, so let, me, let me actually explain the situation. We had, and we didn't talk about this because we didn't. We thought it would be too, I don't know. It's just a little too, like, don't get in a fight with your listeners kind of thing. Let's not say where we found it. Right. There was a comment on the internet that basically just said that, like, we had as much estrogen as 15-year-old girls. And that's why no one comments on our stuff, blah, 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 blah. It was ironic that that was in a comment, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, neither here nor there. Um, There's so many things, like... There's a lot. Don't of, we, we don't have to get into it. A we lot to unpack to there. We don't, we don't have to get to it. There's a lot of problems, but um, I may or may not have been feeling my oats a little bit at this point in the night. <laughs> and I thought, let's take a picture of the two of us licking this paddle because our beautiful wives were in the other room. So backing up, um, we decided somehow we started talking about You've Got Mail. I, I say somehow. I brought it up because I love that movie. And we were we were in the process of talking through it at dinner and then i said let's go home and watch that tonight and so we went back over to your house and 
because our even our wives were not as interested in watching that movie at like 11 o'clock as we were um <laughs> they went into the kitchen to make uh cookies and they brought out the paddle so i took a picture of both of, both of us licking the paddle purely for the to the for the purpose of kind of like trolling people uh and their sort of like toxic masculinity first off I don't think that that guy understands what estrogen is or how it works and functions in the human body <laughs> um, because both genders have different like ratios of different hormones in their bodies at any given time. And second off, gender and sexuality are both constructs. And third off, shut the f*** up. Um, <laughs> just, it is such a confusing insult. Yeah, it really Not was. Not even really an insult. It really was. And it was just, it hit me, it hit me like in a way where it's like, that is the number one way. It's not a whatever way, way to make me angry. It's like the number one way to get a rise out of me is to be like, uh, say something about toxic masculinity, basically. That's like, that's how you get me going is to be like, just sort of crappy about like people's gender or sexuality. And then automatically I'm just like, okay, yeah, now let's have this fight. Um, <laughs> anyway, you got what you wanted, random internet fellow. Yeah. So you got me to talk about it. So, there you go. Um, but we yeah, I cookies. Would, yeah. Yeah, I had a good time. I actually personally discovered one of the things I discovered was that um, this was one of the this is the first time where I figured out that the way that I have to watch games, the thing that causes me anxiety when I watch games is not standing up. And I watched this game pretty much all standing up. Yeah, standing up the entire time. Yeah, it was amazing. It was so much better. Yeah, you were able to walk around. You got distracted. You were able to do other stuff rather than just stare at the screen. So that was good. We got to see. Did you get to see the whole layout of the uh, the lake house? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I was given the whole rundown on. So Anna's father, John, has uh, he's taken like this huge, like a bunch of different separate sheets of graph paper, and he's drawn out his like dream lake house that he's going to okay, now build. So my understanding was that like someone drew that for him, but no, he oh, drew they that have. himself. I thought I was I thinking think he that drew they it. had dr- drawn it. Did he draw it? Oh my God, John. I know you're listening to this. I know. That's so impressive. And he also took um, little snippets out of magazines and taped it in areas as like reference points. And I really loved it. It was like Pinterest come to life. It was great. Uh, that was another, just another piece of our experience. I did want to see if you could, for the, the folks at home, relate You've Got Mail to football in some way. Those of you who haven't seen You've Got Mail in a long time or have never seen it, you should go see it. It aged very well. It did. It did. Just for the record, it did. Um, okay. I would say that the thing that is most charming about You've Got Mail is that it has a sort of timelessness to it. Like, even though it is essentially a story about technology, it's really a story about, like, asynchronous communication. To me, that, that's what I think it's actually really about. Um, and so I think it kind of defies, I think it defies, like, easy definition. To me, I think that it's sort of timeless in its own way in the sense that it feels like a movie about our times, even though it's not, it feels like if you just have any sort of anonymous kind of communication, the story could happen. And I, that's also like my favorite thing about football is that football is sort of just like a space out of time. You know what I mean? Like when you're mm-hmm. in the stadium, when you're watching the team, it's really like kind of timeless and ageless and it feels good in that way. And I think they both, they both comfort me in a similar way. Yeah. Um, so besides that, you actually did end up watching the the game again on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. I actually watched it between yesterday and today. I thought, oh gosh, so I mean, are we talking like 
experience or are we talking um are we getting into our uh, stats right now no no stats this is still kind of experiential i mean my only piece sans stats regarding the experience because i was very distracted the whole time it was scotty's birthday celebrating with scotty i was drinking beer i was looking at this uh lake house drawing and so my experience from the whole thing was uh it, going back and looking at kentucky's scores and we can talk through this in a moment it looked like the scores they got other than the field goal kind of came from gifts and then Benny Snell and Josh Allen are the real deal, and I'm really excited to watch them one day in the NFL. Those are my experiential pieces regarding the game. Yeah, okay, okay, I, I see what you're saying. A um, couple of things. So you're right. I think this is a game that we had a 99% win probability at the end of the game, post-game mm-hmm. win probability. So um, I really think this is one of those things where this was a game that could have been way, way worse for Kentucky. You know, one of their TDs was on a very fluky, weird gift catch that probably should have been a pick. Uh, they got a turnover that prevented probably six or three points. They got another turnover, both of them just kind of fluky that, uh, prevented these things. And, you know, they, they, they gave up some turnovers too, but I, I I just felt ultimately like this is a game that could have gone even more towards our way. And I also thought that like, I don't know, it just felt really good. This is the first game where I saw our defense just running around with its hair on fire this year. Oh, for sure. And that was like very, very like that was mollifying to me in a very serious way because it was just like, this is, this is the thing that was like fun about last year's defense. And yeah, certainly it might not work the same way. It might not work. It doesn't work this well this year, but last year it was so cool because they were just all running around with reckless abandon and it all sort of worked because Roquan Smith was in the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the truth this year, but like, I like that in a defense. I like to see a defense that plays hard, that doesn't play back on its heels. And there are definitely good defenses who can play like that, but I don't think we're one. And so it was kind of really, really fun to see uh, the Georgia defense just go for it. You know, and I, I really thought that that was kind of the story of the day was just the physicality. God, I hate using words like this because they're so, I don't know, they're just so, they're so kind of like coach speaky. But like, seriously, I really do love how like powerful and how hard they hit and how just like from top to bottom, this was a, not a, not a flawless defensive performance, but definitely defensive performance that like, I think the whole team can be proud of. And one where like physicality was the rule today and uh, hard hitting and getting to spots and swarming around. And it seems like every time a Kentucky player touched the ball, there was a bunch of people in white Jersey around them. And they, we didn't always convert that, but like just getting back to that point is like a huge part. For sure. Yeah. It was just a, it was a, this was a really fun game to watch. And it was because both teams came out to play and they really played well. And I, that, that's that's the biggest thing that I come away from this with was like, I like Kentucky a lot. I said that a bunch. I really enjoyed playing Kentucky. And I think that they played, uh, you know, despite the way the game turned out, they played a great game. Mm-hmm. I agree. Totally agree. And I, I look forward, I hope, you know, without Benny Snell and Josh Allen, that this team can still be competitive the following years. Because I think that this season is going to do wonders for their recruitment. And therefore, just it's a new era for Kentucky. And I'm looking forward to what comes of it. What do the stats tell us, Nathan? You want to talk to us about some stats? Yeah, let's do some stats. Yeah, and actually, I think uh, we can kind of like contextualize the rest of what we just said. I think we can actually, there's a really fine direct line between the, in a way that there often is not, but there's a very direct line between the way this game felt and the way that it was statistically. So, okay, so UGA 34, uh, UK 17, win percentage 99.3 for UGA. Uh, interestingly enough, both had 10 drives. UK only ran six fewer plays than UGA, 70 to 64. 70 is the dead uh, numerical national average, by the way, for plays run in the game. Uh, however, UGA had 444 
uh, yards at, to Kentucky's 310, giving UGA a whopping 6.34 yards per play on the get day and Kentucky with 4.84. Our success rate is 54.3. Theirs was 42.1, just at average, but ours was way over average. Our scoring opportunities were eight to their five. I thought what was really interesting, and this was from not from the Five Factors box store, but from the Advanced box store. If you want to find that, it's under Bill Connolly's College Football Profile Stats. But uh, what was interesting, if you look at um, scoring opportunities on the day, yeah, UG had eight drives, Kentucky had five drives. The average on a game is six. Scoring opportunities per drive, UG had 0.8. And Kentucky had 0.5. And to me, that was like a lot of the game was that UJ basically was in scoring position all but two, all but one of its drives. And Kentucky only was in scoring position on two of its drives total. So like when you have that, like that's a very powerful advantage to have just like the opportunity. It's sort of like opportunity rate, but it's like that's what opportunity rate is. But it's sort of a opportunity rate on a macro scale where it's like just having shots on goal is really important. And that's something that's like a really big deal in soccer. But I think it's also kind of a big deal in in football is that like sort of from a 10,000 foot view, the the opportunity to take a snap inside of your opponent's 40 is a really powerful advantage, especially if you have more of those opportunities than your opponent does. But continuing on the five factors box score, UGA had 4.25 points per scoring opportunity. Kentucky had 3.4. Uh, average field position was pretty good this week, especially for UGA. 28.9. Theirs was 27.2. They had a negative 1.55 yards per uh, yard or yards per play margin. I thought field position was very interesting in this game because UGA has not actually been very good at field position uh, a lot of the year. Um, and I think because of one very excellent punt by Jake Camarda, we kind of got some of the bat back this year. So yeah, we uh, UGA finally got its field position back up to the national average. We had a 20 point, 28.9 average starting field position, and they had a 27.2, and the national average is 29.6. So right right around there, right around national average, which for us is actually pretty good because on the year we're not very good at that. Um, and it actually, that bumped. if we when we, We're about to go over the five, facts to, five factors box scores, but our uh, field positions have gone from sort of miserable to respectable over the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think there's also some interesting things to look at the five factors too while we're getting to that. But um, S&P plus update uh usually currently eight and one 7.8 second order win uh, probability so this is basically an eight and one team smp plus margin uh 23.9 good for the fifth in the nation our, our offense is eighth in the nation our defense is 16th in the nation that number's come up quite a bit it has, Spe- it has. special t- special teams is 12th that number's also come back up i think uh smp plus is very has been very respondent to the fact that Rodrigo seems to have straightened out his sort of like weird one game lull and Jake Camarda seems to be turning it around a little bit last week we were five. So zero change, but I do think there's some interesting inside of the numbers things in there. Um, offense got better. Defense got better in this game, but I think in very interesting in particular ways. So um, five factors. So let, let, let's transition into that. So five factors, uh, seventh success rate, seventh marginal efficiency on offense, 25th explosiveness, 26th marginal explosiveness. Those numbers are all kind of par for the course. They've been kind of hovering around there. Uh, field position of 61, which is actually come up and is less than now just average that's good points per scoring opportunity 4.82 which is uh 46th in the nation expected turnover margin 4.3 which is 26th uh actual turnover margin 5 which is 23rd so that's good only about one only about 0.3 points per game in turnover luck for us so that's also good that kind of like averages out and just means we're playing better not relying on luck 
But I think the interesting thing is on defense. Okay, so to read these out of order real quick, um, explosiveness, defense, ISO PPP plus second in the nation. Marginal explosiveness, third in the nation. Field position, 26th in the nation. Finishing drives, 29th in the nation. All those are very good. But the one that I want to point out today is that our success rate is still just an average 67th in the nation, but our marginal efficiency has now gone to 23rd in the nation. So this is what I think is interesting. And I need to actually probably contact bill c on twitter uh for my analysis of this to make sure it's correct but i think this is the was what that's saying when you see a discrepancy like that between success rate and marginal efficiency here's what i think it says success rate is the raw ability of a team to get the number of yards it needs on any given play okay so in that sense we are giving up some easy yards especially on first down uh, marginal efficiency is how much better or worse the team does than an average team um in any given situation so an average team on third and six from this uh point in the game and this yard line does gains this many yards and so the fact that we're 23rd in the nation we, we give up about uh negative 7.9 percent fewer average yards uh efficiency wise than you know like an average team would that actually speaks pretty well and i think what that says about us is that we're a we give up raw numbers but we're really good at playing like to the sticks if you know what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. I, I saw a lot of times where and this happened, this actually happened several times where UGA is very willing. I think this year, especially since I think UGA trusts its back seven more than its front seven. Uh, UGA is very willing a lot of the time when it gets you into third and eight and nine to give up five yards. And I think that is sort of the, that is like the crux of what makes this defense good. If you are going to be good at defending explosiveness, you're also going to be good at making sure that a team gets close to the first down marker, but no further. And that was kind of like the story of Kentucky's game on offense, right? They Kentucky was getting four or five yard chunk plays, but especially when it got to third down. And I felt like in second and log situations as well, although I can't prove that um, statistically, I'd have to look it up. But, uh, you know, there were just a lot of situations where Kentucky, I remember in particular, there was like a third and 14 they had where they throw this long pass uh, in, down the middle that gets like eight yards and then is immediately tackled. And it's like, yeah, sure. Those eight yards come into uh, the thing as success rate, but they also don't, you know, they're way less efficient than they need to be in that situation. Right. And so I think that actually bodes well for the future of this defense, which is sort of the thesis that I'm coming through with on this uh, episode is that this defense is actually way better than you think it is and has the potential even this year to get even better than you imagine that it could be. That's yeah. Like, and this team is so young. That's it's so wild how young this team is. I think I heard the other day that sixty percent of this team are all underclassmen. Yeah, so sixty percent underclassmen in the in the um the starting two deep, which was to say the first twenty two players on defense, the first twenty two players on offense. UGA is playing twelve uh, freshmen, uh, redshirt freshmen or sophomores on offense and thirteen on defense, which means of the first forty four players that see the field every game for UGA, uh, twenty five of them are either freshmen or sophomores. And that should make you very excited about the future of this team. Oh, yes. And, that is, and that's not even that's not even by snaps. That's actually by that's by like the like what is listed in the depth chart. And if you go by snaps, it's even more. It's even an even higher number. Some other things I think are really exciting. If we look at our personality footprints, let's see. Uh, Havoc rate allowed is still eighth by the offense. That is a number that I think we've mentioned it quite a bit, but I don't think we're really giving it enough the attention that it deserves this is an offense that pretty much i think the reason that we're so like hellishly efficient on offense is that it's just really hard for this team to put this team behind the sticks it's very hard 
Uh, passing standard downs run date thirty seventh, passing down run rate thirty uh, first. This is on offense again. I think those those numbers are are interesting because they've come way up, and I think they kind of speak to the fact that Jim Shady has figured out that we're just going to run the ball a lot, and that um, I also think it has to do with the fact that DeAndre Swift is just in much better shape than he was at the beginning of the year. Uh, DeAndre Swift, I think his injury was worse than we thought it was, and I think especially after we saw the performance from him on Saturday, that's pretty obvious. Um, okay, yeah. So overall havoc rate eighty ninth, DL havoc rate one hundred twenty second. That's still not great, but LB Havoc rate 16th. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. DB Havoc rate 96th. And actually, even DB Havoc rate 96th doesn't bother me because I actually think the reason for that is that like they're just not throwing to half of the field. They completed a ball on um, DeAndre Baker, and I was like genuinely sh- shocked when it happened. What are some uh, some other general observations you have from this game? I well, like I said before, I can do mine first. Every uh, everyone just flying around was very 2017. I really loved that. I think this team. I don't know if it's because of the youth or because they just need to get their asses kicked, which sometimes teams do. Um, this team, I think, a combination of those two things didn't take LSU seriously enough, and I and I think it's very clear that they took Kentucky seriously enough. And what I would say, what I would caution you. You know, and that, that statement seems sort of vacuous, I think, at the outset because LSU is a very good team and everybody thinks Kentucky is Kentucky. But I would caution you if you listen to this uh, podcast that you probably do care about numbers to some extent. And at, currently right now, LSU is overall LSU is 22nd and Kentucky is 37th. Those two teams are 15 spots apart. LSU did beat this team, but I, I don't think that the difference between LSU and Kentucky is as great as anyone, everyone thinks it is. Certainly LSU is more talented, but I would just say that like the fact that we took them seriously really showed. And I think it come it came through in the post-game interviews as well, because Monty Rice, like the first thing he brought out was how disrespected the defensive line and the linebackers were. And, you know, whether or not that's true, whether or not that's fake juice is not important to me. What it's important is I think that it bespeaks the fact that this is a team in the past two or three weeks that's kind of found itself and found that edge that it needs to compete. Point in case would be one of the few seniors starting on this defense, um, J.R. Reed said, we understand Benny Snell was maybe the next Herschel Walker or something like that. We wanted to come out and prove that there's only one Herschel. Um, and I think that that's really obvious. Well, honestly, on one level, that's just like, that's a badass thing to say. And uh, and on another level, that's just like, I think that shows the edge that they played with. And, and I think that, you know, it's kind of similar. I think of these secondary things in uh, football and like, you know, the, the intangible things. I kind of think of them like the way the manager is in baseball, where sometimes like Brian Snitker, the manager of the Braves, he's not a very good like X's and O's manager. Like the, we would say in football, he, he, his in-game decisions leave something to be desired, but he is like a clubhouse guy and the guys love him and they play hard for him. And it seems like they play hard for him like 160 games a year. And like, even though that's not what makes my robot heart warm and happy, there is actually there is actually some advantage to that. And I think it's kind of similar to the intangibles in football where it's like, certainly that's not something that we can quantify, but there's a very, there's a strong advantage to a team that has found it's sort of like nobody respects us, you know, or whatever reason it needs to go out there and just really play with like reckless abandon. And, that, and then I think that's what we really, really saw from this team for the first time this year. Did you have any other uh, takeaways? Uh, you already kind of touched on the just the percentile performance. This was the first game that I like. Holy cow! Like this is kind of this game is where we're meant to be playing. Like our you can find our ceiling somewhere in this game is what I'm trying to say. Like our right, right. overall percentile performance, we hit 95. Uh, percent Offensively, we're 99, and defensively, 84. percent You can copy and paste today's performance into the future games and kind of start to see like where this team might be going, where, where you could expect this team to go and how you could expect them to perform. 
in the biggest games of the year and the one the one to come <laughs> the one big one further on down the line and we've only done that a few times we've only performed above 90 percent two other times this year uh the first time was against vanderbilt or the second time was against vanderbilt the first time was against middle tennessee so i would say this is definitely the best this is the best performance the of best the year team that we've done that we've done it against too, yeah right it's an outstanding game also this offense was just efficient af is what yeah. I wrote. And like, if you look down our success rate, you get 42 per quarter, 42%, 61%, 65%, 44%. Just outstanding performance from start to finish. And it's just bonkers. It was bonkers to watch this game. It felt good. Those are mostly my ob- observations. If you want to look, if you want to like really look into where that efficiency kind of comes from and kind of brag on some players for a minute, just looking down Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift stat lines. Holy oh, yeah, were- crap. They're, they're ridiculous. <laughs> Elijah Holyfield rushed 18 times for 115. Yards per carry was 6.39. And then DeAndre Swift was 16 for 156. 9.75 yards per carry. Highlight yards per opportunity for both of them, 6.38 and 12.02, respectively. Yeah, 12.02. That's Ugh. ridiculous. Is that for Was that for Swift or for Holyfield? Swift was 12.02. You know what's really weird? Like, secretly... I'd say that before DeAndre Swift's, I I I don't know this for sure because I don't want to go through and do the math, but before DeAndre Swift's eighty-three yard carry, uh, I think that arguably Holyfield was having a better game than him. He was that for sure. That touched, Holyfield's touchdown in the first half was just a thing of beauty. I mean, and and the fact that, and I don't know if anybody caught this, but Holyfield and that touchdown, he like uh, cut, I think through the a gap yeah and um came back a little bit to the right of the a gap and he was like right in front of the center and he just lowered his shoulder and knocked over cash daniels who was probably the second best defensive player on kentucky's team and just ran right through him and that and that's the kind of thing where that was one of the things when i realized who that was where i was like okay we might win this game because it's like when you just have that kind of when you have the talent advantage where your second best back on the day is having a better is having you know is just so much physically superior to their second best um defensive player you're probably gonna win you know what i mean it's not for sure it, yeah it's just it's like that's just one of those like heuristics that i think there i think there are a lot of little things that you can look at in a football game that tell that just give you clues to where things are going and things like that where or like things where like the the first deandre swift touchdown not the fact that it was a touchdown but just the fact that you see like probably their best and most experienced uh secondary player that safety i forget what his name was michael williams maybe comes up has deandre swift squared up executes a pretty good form tackle and just like jumps into air and when you have that kind of talent advantage it's it's you've got a pretty good chance of winning that's just what it is it's a uh, so that was actually what is his name mike edwards yeah so mike what's edwards, funny yeah. mike edwards was uh definitely the on the game the best defensive player on the game and that says something just about kind of how well our team played that their safety was he had nine and a half tackles on the day Jeez, and josh allen was made completely just completely ineffective this game he only had three tackles on the day i believe you know other than he did scoop up the ball twice he was the the one responsible for the recoveries i'll give him that but uh, other than that, we just didn't play to him, and yeah, that's outstanding. He still he still got things done. Mm-hmm. But Ding was yeah, he absolutely good. did. But I mean, he didn't he didn't really do anything that interesting. No, you know? no, he didn't. Yeah, exactly. So takeaways in terms of things I think about overall: more than sixty percent of upperclassmen, we're going to be effing good next year. We're gonna be so and good. I know that that and that's like I think we're going to be good this year. I think the next four weeks are going to be really exciting for this team. But I just 
I'm not going to make any predictions about us versus Alabama next year or whatever, make any bold proclamations. I'm just going to say, like, this is going to be a very good team next year, and we're all going to be very happy to witness it, I think. Um, this is a team that's going to have talent from, you know, 1 to 44 in the two deep. We may beat the other thing, I think, and I always I always want to stop from jinxing myself, but I'm just going to say this because I, I, I kind of actually think this. If we come out and play the way we did against Auburn or against Auburn the way we did against Kentucky, and we keep that kind of focus and clean up just a couple of the mistakes, I think there's a chance we could beat the hell out of Auburn. And I would not have told you that before this game. But if we're capable of this level of aggression on offense and we can just make their defense n- like nothing, which uh, or make their offense just non-existent, which has been doable this year, by the way, by teams that are not as good as us defensively, I think we have a chance of not just beating Auburn, but covering, like I think it's a 12-point projected score from from smp plus and i did not think that before this game i thought that this was going to be like a really annoying game that like made everyone miserable right i mean just like by way of comparison um kentucky after this game after this game playing us kentucky's deep kentucky's offense has actually worked really low kentucky's offense has worked 37th and their defense is ranked sixth so they dropped uh three spots because of us suck it their overall smp playing uh, smp plus rank is 37th Auburn, after their last-minute uh, win against Texas A&M, uh, a game which I would point out that they had a 47% win probability, Auburn ha- is 57th on offense and 10th on defense. So this is like a slightly better but also slightly worse version of Kentucky. And I just think that if we come out with that level of focus and that level of just on-fireness, which I don't think is really should be that hard, because if they black this game out, man, I'm going to lose my and I'm going to say one last thing, and this is pretty bold. I'm going to try to phrase this away. I wrote it down in a kind of hot takey way, but I think that this is a defense that can come into its own over these last four weeks, and whoever we play in the bowl is going to feel the wrath. And I think when we see this defense in a bowl game, if we had the right matchup and if we have the right sort of level of focus in the bowl game, which I don't know why we wouldn't. I think that you could see sort of start to see some Alabama like qualities in this defense. I didn't say we would have an Alabama defense. I said, I think that this is the defense that if it gets its crap together and it keeps on improving on the trajectory that it's currently on, even with the sort of dearth of talent and the defensive line, uh, well, we think of that, but I don't know if that's actually true. I think this is a defense that can get a lot better and be really scary at the end of the year. Let's talk about prediction review. Uh, your very first over-under was 200 yards on Benny Snell. We both said under, and Benny Snell was only responsible for, where was it? Uh, 73 yards in the day. So 73 yards in Benny Snell. Well below his average, which felt good. Next over-under from you was one and a half passing touchdowns from Jake Fromm. We both thought this was going to be over. We both saw two or three coming out of him just because that's how we thought this game would go. But it turns out we just efficient them to death uh, on the ground. And we only needed one. Yeah, we did. We only needed one from from Jake Fromm. This is fine. Over under one and a half. Jake or Josh Allen sacks. We both said over. He had, I think, just the. I don't think he had any actually. So none made Josh Allen ineffective in that way. Yeah, that was one of those like, oh, we're kind of scared that this might happen. Yeah, my first over under was Benny Snell five point two yards per carry, which was his average, which is absurd uh, we both said under his average on the day was 3.6 per carry uh this one was me just Which being rude. very good game yeah very good game very good game the next two actually were me just being rude <laughs> uh thank you over yeah. under um kentucky miles butler their field goal kicker i uh my over under was 51 percent successful field goals he only had one he made it that's fine he's four for and eight I, on the year 
So you, you were saying, hold on, let me just pause and tell you how mean that actually was because <laughs> he's underselling how mean it was. Because at some point during this game, your boy Justin there just goes up to me and goes like, now he needs to, now he needs to miss one because I'm going to miss this over under. <laughs> yeah, I did. That did happen. I was, I was thinking it might happen. I don't know. For if we're looking at this on the year, he's only 50%. So there's that. I'm not doing totally poorly. Over under on Terry Wilson being benched in the second half. He stayed in the whole time because Kentucky tried to win this out, but didn't work. Uh, we both said under. We get that right. Mm-hmm. The UGA came into this as a nine-point favorite. The end score was 34-17 with UGA winning. Uh, Nathan's prediction was 27-21, UGA coming out on top. Mine was 38-14. Uh, good Man, for you- a seven-point difference. I've been pretty good at these score predictions and beating you a few times this year, but you just whipped my ass on this one. That was my thing last year, too. I don't know why yeah. Why yeah. I'm able to... to I, I'm usually within about 10 points, and if I'm not, then it's really bad. Mm-hmm. It's like real far off. So let's get back into our Ask CBC portion. Yeah, yeah. Ask CBC. So excited. We have a couple that came in throughout the, the week. It wasn't just today, uh, right before we recorded, but the very first one was John Powell. At Powell John T, he asks, I'd like to request some advanced stats in Jordan Davis's involvement in the defense. Can we look at his Havoc plays over time? And we can, but that might take us a second, actually. <laughs> no, well, okay, so we can't, I don't have these split over time, but I can kind of give you an idea of what Jordan Davis is doing this year mm-hmm. um, from a statistical perspective. I was, uh, you can start out real quick for just in the beginning, but he, he has, he's not responsible for any Havoc plays, actually. Yeah, he, he's not responsible for any Havoc plays, although he does have, he is only giving up a paltry 2.4 yards per carry, and he's running negative 27% marginal efficiency on the year and negative 0.56 marginal explosiveness. So yeah, while he has not had any Havoc plays, I think when people rave about Jordan Davis's success on the line, what they're really talking about is that like you can't run at him. He really takes up, he really defeats double teams well. He takes up space. He funnels, he knows, he, he knows how to use his body in such a way that he funnels runners towards where his linebackers will be. And that's not something we always had in like you know it occurs to me now after seeing julian rochester just devastate a or deliver a devastating hit on um terry wilson in this game i think part of the problem with julian rochester and part of the reason that he was on skates a lot of the time is that julian rochester is a dude who is sort of sized as someone who would be a nose tackle and he looks like a nose tackle but he is actually like a five technique or a three technique not like a zero technique and i think having Jordan Davis come around like he has and being 320 pounds and not fat in the center of the defense has really allowed the rest of the defensive line to play the way that they are capable of playing and play in the spots that where they need to. And what should scare everyone else uh, in the SEC is that Mikhail Carter's coming back next week and David Marshall should be back in the next couple of weeks. I will say though, just before we move on to the next question, this is a great opportunity just to talk about how we know that our, our defense is not necessarily the most have a great filled defense, but that doesn't necessarily say whether or not like that doesn't prove anything necessarily. It's just kind of, it's just kind of our, our personality. Have a great, is not necessarily like the biggest indicator of like whether or not i don't know i mean they're that having having good havoc rate does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a good team or a strong defense yeah. or yeah. an efficient yeah. or anything like that i will say though we, we talk about havoc rate a lot and the reason why we've talked about it as much as we have in the past is because last year we did have a, a much higher havoc rate on this team yeah and, and it, it was, was just, just fun, fun to, to talk about it was yeah, fun to talk yeah. about it didn't dictate whether or not they were good but, uh ben shepherd comes with a question asks cbc how is coaching or teaching like being in a chinese room do our coaches really understand why they're successful or unsuccessful could the georgia coaching staff collectively pass a turing test okay you have a a few things to unpack there yeah i have a few 
definitions to give here. Okay, so this is obviously someone who knows about uh, artificial intelligence or took the time to study it just to troll me. Either way, I appreciate it. Um, Okay, so let's talk about Turing tests and strong versus weak artificial intelligence. (laughs) So um, the Chinese room is not racist. It sounds like it's racist, but it's not racist. So the Chinese room is a thought experiment that was originally proposed in the 70s, like I think 1971, by this guy. No, 1980. I was off by a whole decade. Sorry. But it was originally presented by John Searle, who is a philosopher, but he's actually like a behavioral scientist philosopher more than he is sort of like someone we would think about like Kant or Sartre or like a classical philosopher. Uh, those, those, the artificial intelligence and philosophy have been two fields that have overlapped in some very interesting ways. That doesn't matter. But um, the Chinese room is a thought experiment that's basically a reverse canonical Turk. Okay, so the Chinese room proposes if you had a artificial intelligence that you taught to speak Chinese and it was capable of delivering such fluid responses to Chinese. It could take in the input of Chinese characters, interpret them and put back out Chinese characters in such a way that it could easily pass the Turing test for any Chinese speaker, right? We would consider it on some level to be functioning the same way as a human brain does. Now, let me pause by saying the Turing test back up the turing test is uh the idea it was proposed by alan turing who is sort of like one of the founders of modern computing also he was chemically castrated because he was gay but neither here nor there uh that's your eternal shame britain but um <laughs> he also helped ro- win world war ii so neither here nor there so alan turing he produced proposed this test that basically the point at which that the point at which that uh, artificial intelligence actually becomes real artificial intelligence is when you can have a conversation with an artificial intelligence that you cannot tell the difference between your conversation with the artificial intelligence and your conversation with a human all right you cannot tell whether it is artificial intelligence or human Make sense? So the idea is if you created the Chinese room is this thought experiments that says if you create an artificial intelligence that can or a computer that can imp- take inputs of Chinese characters, put out outputs of Chinese characters, pass the Turing test, and has this and basically is functionally indistinguishable to a Chinese speaker between a but you know, between a human and this computer, right? And then in the same those the same group of people, if you were to take a room and on one side have the Chinese inputs come in from a, a question of the from a Chinese speaker, and then you had well in the first instance it was uh, the philosopher himself, Searle, said if I put myself in a room and I had all of the actual programmatic language and the um, computations involved in the computer, and I had enough time and space and you know mechanical calculator and an infinitely large set of filing cabinets that I given enough time could reproduce just like brute force that program and, you know, provide the correct responses. Right. So the China, the question in the Chinese room is given that is the first example of computer. Is that really an artificial intelligence? If it can produce a facsimile of human life, but is not aware of its own existence as producing a facsimile of a human life, because if it is repro- if it is reproducible on pen and paper by a human, just sort of who doesn't understand the way the program works, it's probably not what we call strong AI. So the idea is that strong AI is artificial intelligence that not only is capable of having a, an, uh, having like a conversation with a human being in 
indistinguishable from another human, but is aware of its existence and can, in some instances, depending on what definition you ask, in some instances can learn. Bring that all the way back around to test, to coaching and strong AI, coaching in the Chinese room. I actually think there is something to this. <laughs> um, and I, I, he might have been, he might have been sort of being trolly, but I actually think there's something to this. And here's why teaching and coaching are, there's a science to both of them, right? Coaches and teachers spend a long, 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 long time training to become the educators that they will be. And they are versed in all sorts of strategies and tricks and gimmicks and philosophies and scientific research to create who they are as coaches and teachers. However, there is an element of coaching and teaching that's it. It's kind of like shaman religion. And what I mean by that is if you asked a shaman of a traditional indigenous tribe in in somewhere in the world, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred years ago. If you ask them what they did to cure a common ailment, they could tell you all of the things that they did. Right? If I asked a shaman fifteen hundred years ago, anywhere in the world, how do you cure when someone's stomach hurts? They give me a big list of the things that they could do. Right? And it might even work. It probably would work. Right? I mean, these people are revered for a reason. But then if I ask them, okay, but what part of it is what causes the stomach to feel better? They couldn't tell me the answer. And ultimately, I think that's why, I think that's the connection here, which is that in some, time, in some ways, you, as a teacher, you feel a lot of times like that computing room. It, 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 it is a lot by feel. You know what is happening, but you don't always know why it is happening. And I mean, even as someone who tries to be really self-reflective as a teacher, I fell prey to this. And I don't even think it's something you really fall prey to so much as something that's like, that's just part of how teaching works. I mean, you just, sometimes things just work. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of teaching is just charisma and being around kids in the room. And if kids believe that you really actually like them and care about them, then they'll do right for you. And there's no like trick or thing that I can teach you to tell you how to get kids believe to believe that you like them. You have to just make them believe that. And I mean, that's all it is. Like, yeah. I mean, you just have to, and, and, and that is just a combination of how you behave and your demeanor and the things that you say all the way down to the individual, like words that come out of your mouth. And those things are not like obvious. There's my ask CBC. The very last segment of course, the, <clears throat> the Dr. James Bearfield troll corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. He wants to know, he has a few real questions. He's really upped his question game this week. His very first question, you know, you could look at it both ways because it goes one through four and then back down to one. So I'm going to start with this one. Do you think UCF will be given a chance at the CFP this year? <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. No. And I'd say there's there's almost no chance. Yeah, there's the, no, there's just not. And it, it comes, I don't know. It's I do not think that UCF is the reason why we should have a larger playoff bracket system. But, but it's one of the of reasons. It. Yeah, they're definitely part of yeah. it. They're not the only reason, by no means. Uh, which three players on injury reserve do we most need to be healthy for the SEC championship game? The two defensive linemen and Lamont Galliard. Based purely on, purely on stats, which team stands the best chance of beating Bama? Clemson. Yeah, I agree. Clemson. Clemson's the only offense that can keep up with their offense, I think, probably. Clemson looks like... I definitely think if Clemson and Alabama meet in the national championship, which there is a very good chance they do, I my money's on Clemson right this minute. Really? Oh, for sure. Yes. And that comes down to that is interesting. purely the not... way their offense stacks up against Bama's defense. Huh. It's interesting that they say that. We'll talk about it some other time when it's more important. We've been losing offensive line left and right, but seem to be just fine. Is there anyone that wouldn't be as easy to replace? At this point, it's, a, um, it's most of them. <laughs> no, I mean, 
uh, you mean, I, I don't know how to interpret this question. If he means, is there anyone that wouldn't be as, as uh, well, I guess essentially like, does he mean in the offensive line or does he mean anywhere? Offensive line specifically. I don't, I, that's how um, I interpret it. Offensive line. Uh, I mean, uh, Andrew Thomas, mm-hmm. Andrew Thomas, I think is like secretly one of the top five or six offensive linemen in the nation. Uh, do you like to drive in your truck? Hell yeah, I do. Auburn sucks. How would you relate Auburn the sucks. grandfather paradox to the UK game? This is like a really deep, this is a really deep cut here. Okay. Grandfather paradox, as with all time f- paradoxes, <laughs> is uh, it's as, as in all the, the worst paradoxes. First off, it's from it, it's referenced in Doctor Who, of course, but it's also uh, it's also about time travel. All right, so it's a paradox of time travel in which inconsistencies inconsistencies emerge through changing the past. The name comes from the paradox's common description: a person travels to the past and kills their own grandfather between before the conception of their father or mother, which prevents the time traveler's existence. Despite its title, the grandfather paradox does not exclusively regard contradiction of killing one's own grandfather to prevent one's birth. Rather, paradox regards any action that alters the past, since there is a contraction. Uh, whenever the past becomes different from the way it was so this is like this is like the marty mcfly paradise right if your parents don't on prom night like you don't exist let's see so how would i relate to that okay so anyway getting back to how i relate that to the uk game i kind of think that what he's referencing here is the idea that like if you go back in time and well the way i would relate to the us us uh, lsu game is like if or, or the uk game and what that makes me think of is like if you go back in time and get have this team play the way against LSU that they played against UK, we'd probably win. But then the paradox is we might not win when we played UK or K because then like we wouldn't have cared as much and ergo, we would not have been had the focus that we had in this last game. Yeah. That's what I would say. That makes sense. I like that. And the very last piece, you got a poem for this game? Oh, do I have a poem from this game? I'm just wondering. (laughs) (laughs) This is by Allison Prince. This was published in 2003 in a um, called the Whiffet Town, which was a collection of, I think, Scottish poetry. Yeah, and I think, pretty sure Prince is a Scot. Anyway, the Wildcat. Today I saw a Wildcat up the brae, you'd think, and a Landseer painted gloaming glen or on some moor where tweeted gentlemen slip from their hip flasks in their purdied play. But no such thing. This wildcat stalks the street, its yellow eyes burning with battles won. Dark as a sandstone entry, it has run invisibly on heavy padded feet, through squares and closes, through laundrettes and bars, leaving a whiff of musk, a rusty grin, and muscles moving under city skin. Marked with long brown stripes of ancient scars, the beast is dead, they say, and yet those eyes glean in each street lamp, angry, wild, and wise. So anyway, I put this in because... I don't know if Turner Hawkins is going to listen to this, my UK friend, but I just wanted him to feel good about something. And all I just want to say is like, we still have to play Kentucky in basketball twice next year. <laughs> and that's the beast that we say is dead. Oh boy. But Hey, while you were reading that, I just wanted you to know, uh, just looking through Clemson who just beat the snot, the ever living snot out of Louisville this past I think, week. I think the term you're looking for is beat the dog out of Louisville. Yeah. Louisville. They, they said, why are we even still playing this game anymore? Their percentile performance of that game offensively was... <laughs> Get hit me. I'm ready. <laughs> Hold on. I had to make sure I was right before I guessed it again. Uh, it was only 86%. A 77 to 16 that win. Is, that is so like like staggering yeah. to me. Oh, my God. So, oh, my... Just, geez. Just, geez. 
They're uh, like I was reading our success rate earlier by quarter. Their success rate by quarter is 83, 67, 61, 73. Man, really? <laughs> just Clemson's offense this really is took, unreal. Took the foot off the gas. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right? They're they're so so good. They're currently offensively SP SP plus ranked seventh and defensively second. Their strength is scheduled a little bit. Not it's not as good as Alabama's strength of schedule, but it only means so much in the grand scheme of things. It's not that much worse. It's the there's 88th to Alabama's 57th, and Alabama special teams S and P rank is 103. But that's just because they don't punt and they have a bad kicker. and they have a bad kicker. It's because they don't need him anyway. Let's go ahead and have a quick outro. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. So give us a listen on all of them. Why not? You know, go nuts. Maybe one sounds better than the other. You can get, get in touch with us on Facebook, or you can search Chapel Bell Curve. You can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. You can yell at us on Twitter. I'm the Justin Bray, and Nathan is at Nathan J. Lawrence. Or you can just yell at us at Chapel Bell Curve. You can also go check out our website if you want. We occasionally post extra stuff there. Uh, we also always post extra stuff and occasionally a longer show that is uncensored and unfiltered on our patreon so if you got an extra dollar to spend per month you can throw it our way because that all that money goes straight back into the show and you will get all that extra content it's good good content and you can hear nathan uh say filthy things and sometimes talk about politics and you know whatever you see also hey go vote Go vote, go vote, go vote, go vote. Oh, yeah. Go so vote. you're going to be listening go to this vote. on Election Day. You should be listening to this like in line and on Election Day and just hanging out. Yeah, you should. Yeah, go vote. Yes. I don't care who you vote for. Just go vote because you have, uh, you know, it, it's your civic duty one. And I know you hear that all the time. But also, we live in a, a super cool country that allows us to go do that. And, you know, nobody's going to tell us otherwise. So go do that thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> vote, 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 vote. Also, vote, vote once. Only vote once, even though I'm saying the word vote a lot. Just do it once. Vote. Bring your raincoat tomorrow, too. Um, thank you, Bill Connolly, for always letting us use our stats uh, unknowingly. We made nerd stuff for you per your, uh, although, your request on Twitter. Although I will say in his relate, yeah, I was about to say in his release today, he did kind of acknowledge that other people. He knows. Like, yeah, other people use. He's like, he's like, we don't have to know that we don't have to have God appear before us to know that he exists. <laughs> uh, and until we see you later this week, when Auburn comes to town, probably in their truck, if I had to guess, uh, just, you know, 120 big burly boys in a Ford F-150. Now they're Chevy, yeah. right? We're Ford. They're Chevy. If yeah, I had to sure. guess, but, uh, built for tough, built for tough. Yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll still catch you in the classic city when Auburn comes back to town. But until then, as always, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs>